So good morning. My name is Benji, as has been said. I'm going to move this a little bit so I have some more sway space for my long wingspan. Um, so people hear that I'm a young pastor. I'm 25, for anyone who cares. And they, they say that, you know, I'm already a pastor at this point in my life. My dad's a pastor. My grandpa on one side was a pastor. My grandpa on the other side was a pastor. So they look at, they hear all those facts and they assume like, wow, you must have just wanted to be a pastor your whole life because here you are already at this young age, a pastor. And that was just not at all the case in my life. Um, I think all of those facts together made me want to not be a pastor as much as possible. Um, but the Lord has interesting plans. So I went to school for social work, just a little intro to myself. I went to school for social work. I went to Lancaster Bible College. Um, and for a year, I was a caseworker with Lancaster County Children and Youth. So I was the guy who, if something bad happened at your home last week, I'd show up this week, knock on your door and say, hey, I got a report about something that happened with your kids this week. Let's talk about that. And I really loved that job. I was passionate about that job. That's kind of what I thought I would be doing for the rest of my life, and I was excited about that. But the Lord has different plans, as we're going to talk about this morning. And so, needless to say, he called me to Timberline Church through a very unforeseen and random turn of events. And I've discovered that I really like church. And so I'm really excited to be here today because I love visiting churches and seeing how other churches worship. I know some people go into a new church with a clipboard and say, oh, well, this isn't good, and I didn't like the way they did this. I love seeing how other churches worship. And particularly because I'm a pastor now, I I love being at my home church, and so I'm always there. I don't get to visit other churches very often. So it's a special privilege to be here this morning. Um, My wife is with me, my wife Melody. We've been married a little over a year, and six weeks ago we welcomed our daughter Alethea home, so we are excited to be here with you. And it's particularly good to be here at Waterway. I've known about this church for a while. Um, A number of years ago, I got to travel to Florida with Andrew and Abby King, and then a few years later, we traveled again together to Indonesia. And Andrew and I have spent many hours talking about the kingdom of God and the role of the church and our respective roles in the church And as Steve already mentioned, um, I've been meeting with Jesse weekly for the last two years, uh, which has been a big encouragement, particularly as a young pastor. It is a, uh, a blessing to meet with a group of other pastors to learn together. As you all know, the last year and a half has been a very odd season of life for all of us with fluctuating COVID restrictions big politics, everyone's opinion about everything being shared everywhere. It's been an odd time of life, but particularly for those in leadership who need to make decisions that affect the lives of other people, it's been tense. And so it was a particular gift to me to be able to meet with Jesse and a few others and pray together, encourage each other, and learn from each other. And to you, Waterway, I would say, you are blessed, as am I, you are blessed to have pastors and elders and leaders who are united, not uniform, not all the same, not all of the same opinion, but nonetheless united, willing to work together. Men who are confident and humble at the same time. Don't take that for granted. Many places don't have that. It is a gift to have leadership like that. So thank you for allowing me to learn from your leaders. 
We don't always realize the blessings that we have until we don't have them anymore. It's easy to praise God when the cars are still running and they're not breaking down. It's easy to praise God when the bank accounts are not empty. It's easy to praise God when the relationships that we have with family and friends are healthy and fun and enjoyable, and when the sun is shining without oppressive heat the way it has the the last few days. When the things that we want, we have, on those days it's easy to praise God and say, God is strong, God is wise, God is good. And these three truths we need to understand and agree on on a beautiful, sunshiny day where we get to sit in air conditioning. Before we, but any of what I'm about to say is going to make sense. There's three simple truths. One, God is stronger than I am. Can you say that out loud? God is stronger than I am. Two, God is wiser than I am. Say that one. God is wiser than I am. And I'm sorry, English teachers, it works better to say it this way. God is gooder than I am. Say that with me. God is gooder than I am. He just is. As humans, we are made in God's image, so we look just a little bit like God. So God is absolutely strong. He has all power. He can do anything. And so like him, we have some strength. We can do some things. We have some power, but there's a lot that we can't do because God is stronger than us. God is absolutely smart. He knows absolutely everything. Nothing is covered to the eyes of God. And like him, we have some smarts. We know some things. We can learn things. We can retain information. But we certainly don't know everything. And the little bit that we do learn, we often forget. And God is absolutely good. Everything that he does is inherently right and praiseworthy. And like him, we have the ability to do some good things, and we do good things sometimes. But quite often, we're selfish and greedy. Or even, we have good intentions, and we try, but our good intentions are nearsighted, so even what we intended for good ends up disastrous because we couldn't see the whole thing. We didn't even know our selfish intentions buried below our actions. But everything that God does is right and good. He is perfectly strong, wise, and good. And if these things are true, then when God makes a promise, it will surely be kept because there's nothing that can prevent its keeping, right? He's all-powerful. He has a strong will. He is good. He is wise. There's nothing that can prevent his promise from coming into reality. And in this last year and a half of confusion and cancellations and conflicting thoughts and relations, there's one promise that Jesus made that has become particularly meaningful to me and my community of friends. The promise is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. That's essentially our text this morning. And Jesus says simply this in Matthew 5, 4. He says, Blessed are those who who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Ten words in the English language, maybe less in Mexico. 
10 simple, painful, and liberating words. The one who mourns is blessed. The one who mourns is comforted. I think we can all agree that we like to be blessed, at least more than cursing, I suppose. We can agree that blessing is a good thing, and I'm confident that we all like to be comfortable. I mean, look at the chairs you are sitting on. We like to feel good. Most people spend the majority of their time in life pursuing their own comfort in some way or another. Or perhaps a really altruistic person may sacrifice their own comfort, but probably in pursuit of somebody else's comfort because we just really like to be comfortable. We value comfort. We're passionate about comfort. So if blessing is a good thing and comfort is a good thing, blessed are those who are comfortable, right? That's what sounds right in our American mindset, or at least in my mindset, I will confess. But that's not what Jesus said. Instead, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And those who mourn will experience comfort. Now, I can't speak for you, but mourning does not really ring the happy, comfort, pleasant feeling bells in my head. Google defines mourning as a verb, which means to feel or to show deep sorrow or regret for someone or their death typically by following conventions such as the wearing of black clothes. Now, definitions of words can change over time, and some words are hard to define exactly. But as far as I can tell, mourning is an action that is chosen. Grief and sorrow, on the other hand, those are feelings. Those are emotions that we experience as an automatic response to an external stimulus. Something outside of me happens, and I feel grief. I feel sorrow. I can't help that. It's internal and unchosen. It's a feeling. Whereas mourning is a purposeful, outward expression of these feelings. Mourning is an act of the will, a choice that you and I can make to process and express the grief that we may feel. This may involve weeping. It may involve wearing black. It may involve whatever your culture deems necessary to mourn. In Hebrew culture, people would dress themselves, not in our comfy clothes, they would dress themselves in burlap and put ashes all over themselves so that they would look like they're uncomfortable. They would literally display and live out their discomfort. So probably none of us have done that. But we have all had our opportunity in life at some point to choose whether to express our grief or to ignore it. However it is practiced, mourning sounds terribly uncomfortable to me. So what is this that Jesus is saying about blessing and comfort for those who mourn? Jesus is the wiser-than-me God that we're talking about. So what is this blessing and where does it come from? We've established that God is powerful, that he's wise, that he's good. And to add to that, I would say God has an absolute will. Because God is all-powerful, 
He's able to perform anything or to prevent anything. If God doesn't want something to happen, it won't. And if God really wants something to happen, it will. And nothing is going to stop it. And because we are made in God's image, we also have a will. And the human will is very strong. We have a six-week-old child. And when she does not get her will, she lets you know exactly how much she wants to get her will. And she's got her dad's lungs, so she can cry loud! And we all know it. I might have just woken her up. Our will is strong. Sometimes we want and we will with fierce passion and emotion that it stirs our whole lives and affects everything we do. But we don't always get what we want with fierce passion. So what do we do when we don't get our will? Now remember, God is wiser than us, and his will is ultimate and fully good. So shouldn't we like his will? Our will can be fickle sometimes and back and forth. For example, I really like to bake cookies. And when I've just baked a full batch of cookies and I put them out on the counter and they look good. If I walked into another room and I came back and all those cookies were gone, I would be upset. In fact, I would be angry because I wanted those cookies to still be there. But I take that same batch of cookies to a party and I put them down on the food table. I go and play spike ball for a while. I come back and they're all gone. I'm not angry. In fact, I'm quite honored because everybody in this room knows that Benji Martin made some good cookies. <laughs> These two scenarios have the same input and the same output. In both cases, I start with cookies, I end without cookies. But I feel very differently about the two scenarios. When my reality does not match my will, that makes me sad. In a case like this, it'd probably make me angry because as a human, potentially, particularly as a man, I get my sad and anger emotions confused quickly and anger sounds safer than sadness. And so even though I should be sad that the cookies are gone, I express that in anger. When, we don't, when our reality and our will don't match, we have a difficult decision to make. What are we going to do about it? It is our design, as God's image bearers, to have a will. Yet in our imperfection, we don't always get that will. So this sounds to me like just a hotbed for disaster. Because you have a will, it's supposed to be strong, you're not going to get your will all the time, so you're just going to be disappointed all the time. Why is that? Wouldn't it just be easier if we just willed absolutely nothing, ever, and never had a desire wouldn't that just make our life easier and a lot less disappointing? But it's not wrong to will something. It's our design to do so. So, six weeks ago, Melody and I very happily brought our daughter home from the hospital. And in the days since, we have thoroughly enjoyed introducing her to all of our friends and family. For nine months, we were excitedly looking forward to this birth process. Our culture even calls pregnant women expecting mothers because we're expecting something. 
Melody and I willed that our daughter would be born. We willed that she would be healthy. We willed that she would come home. And she was. We got what we wanted. My college roommate married one of my best friends, and so they together have remained really good friends of ours. And they're pregnant at the same time as us. We were like, pregnant together is really fun. And we would daydream about our kids growing up and being friends, and uh, they live in Ohio, so we're planning out our like, vacations and how we're going to make this work. And three weeks ago, three weeks after Alethea came home, I got the call that baby Peter was born. But he was born without a heartbeat. And so he wasn't living anymore. So here are my friends, my dear friends, experiencing all of the same anticipation and desires that Melody and I were experiencing. Getting the nursery ready, gearing up to meet the whole family. The wills were strong. But what we willed never came. Was it wrong for them to want Peter to be born breathing? Was it unrealistic to expect that he would be born okay and healthy? Were they supposed to will something else? I guess you could say, if you really wanted to, that God numbers our days. He knew this already. And God knew from before time that Peter was going to have nine months in the womb, and on earth that was going to be it. Why should you expect 90 years? We should be grateful that Peter got to live at all. Isn't God's will better than your will anyways? You could say that. I confess, I didn't think that. Was it wrong to will differently than the reality that God allowed to come into be? So then there's another friend of mine and his wife who have for years and years desired to be pregnant. And they just aren't and have never been. You know, a lot of couples, they get married and it's fairly common for someone to have children then. We call that normal, maybe? So was it, wasn't it normal for my friends to expect that maybe they would get pregnant after they got married? It, was it wrong for him to will that he should already have been a dad? They've been married for years. Couldn't he already be a dad by now? And that's not what's happening. But is it wrong that he wanted that, that he willed that? Or what about my five-year high school class reunion? Instead of it being a campfire or a cookout, it was a funeral for one of my classmates because cancer took her life story in a different direction than any of us assumed or willed it to be. Should we have willed and chosen and wanted Emily to die at the age of 23? Or should we have willed nothing at all and just not cared at all about Emily's life so that when she died, it didn't affect us? Of course not. Of course I willed that Peter should live. Of course I wanted Emily to graduate with her nursing degree and save people's lives. Of course, I want my barren friends to be blessed with a child. These are good things, and these are good things that God has blessed. 
And we were given a will by God, and we should will things, and we should will the good things that God blesses. But in these stories, our wills were not met in reality. The reality is Peter and Emily are gone from earth. The reality is our dear friends watched Melody and I bring a baby home in the first year of marriage, and their spare room is still empty. Is it a sin that I willed something different than God allowed in reality? Is mourning a mistake because I should have just agreed with God from the beginning? But Jesus gives a blessing to those who mourn, implying that when our will is not met, we should mourn. He doesn't say that we should not will, nor does he expect our will to match God's all the time. He says when it comes, when our will is not met, he promises us comfort and a blessing when we acknowledge the dissonance of wills and when we choose to mourn. In fact, Jesus himself mourned. When his friend Lazarus died, he wept publicly, intentionally where everyone could see him. That's a public display of mourning. Wasn't Jesus God? Wasn't his will perfectly aligned with the Father's? He was even going to raise him from the dead just a little bit later. Why would he mourn something and if he knew the outcome was going to be different? I don't know why Jesus mourned. You'll have to ask him. Perhaps... He saw the sadness in his friends, Mary and Martha, and the empathy and compassion that he felt for them just overwhelmed him, so he, he wept. Perhaps he mourned because he knew that in mourning there's a blessing and comfort. Perhaps the 100% human side of Jesus had a different desire than the Father's will. And Jesus needed to surrender that human desire. And that's why mourning is a valid experience and not a sin. Because the intersection between laying down my will and picking up God's will is called mourning. Listen to that again where we lay down our will and pick up God's will. That intersection is called mourning. It's a choice that we make to lay ourselves down and say, look, God, this isn't what I wanted. But I want to follow you. And it's a choice. It's a conversation. It's a process that we go through. Romans 12.1 says, In view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. This is worship where we realize that my will, my life would have gone this way. But God, I see that your will is taking my life this way. And so I'm going to lay down my life 
and pick up what you have for me, which is worship. This surrender to God's will is how Romans defines worshiping God. And therefore, for us who have a will and will necessarily not get it, mourning is a necessary aspect of our worship. When we lay down our will and allow ourselves to enter into God's, then there is this comfort and blessing that we experience deep in our spirit that is far beyond what I could describe to you in words. Sometimes laying down our will is easy and the process is quick. Kind of a once and done process that maybe cried a little bit, but now we're on our merry way. Never think of it again. But the human will is strong. And it can be incredibly stubborn. We have that image of God in us which allows us to love deeply and we should love deeply. And when our loves are taken from us, our will hurts deeply. Mourning can be an incredibly difficult and painful and long process. We can't rush our feelings. If mourning is the expression of the grief that we feel, then mourning needs to take as long as it's going to take. We can't rush it. Sometimes I'd rather skip the emotions of mourning Right? Like if, if I know that tomorrow I'm going to be comforted because I mourned, then can I just skip to the comfort part and not have to go through the mourning part? Surely, if I'm going to be comforted tomorrow, then the deep emotions that I'm feeling today must be fickle and fake. No. Our emotions are a gift from God. And when we express and process the grief and sorrow, the emotions may be temporary and honest at the same time. And we may experience them quickly and move on. But if we don't express them, if we keep all of those negative emotions, grief and sorrow inside, and we never express them, then they will last forever. I can promise you that. They will stay in your heart and soul and eat you alive in bitterness and anger. What could have been released through surrender becomes a rotten heart because the emotion and the mourning was not allowed. You and I have a will, and when that will is not met, there cannot be surrender without mourning. Without mourning, the losses of our will prevent worship in our hearts. Now, mourning is going to look different for everybody. Not everybody expresses themselves as a sopping mess. But some of us will. So have patience, please. But the good news is the blessing is not for the weeping and the wailing. The blessing is for the surrender. The blessing is for the process of mourning. Jesus isn't asking you to take up emotional suffering as a weekend hobby. He's just saying, by the way, there is a blessing hidden inside surrender to God. My grandma mourned the loss of my grandpa for 18 years. She was not a hot mess all the time. 
She was not miserable all the time. But she did, on a regular basis, surrender her will to God because she woke up on year five and still wanted Leroy to be alive. And he still wasn't. And so she learned over time that if she continued to bring that will to God day in and day out and year in and year out, each time she did that, God would again bless and God would again bring comfort. On the other hand, so that's somebody who isn't an emotional mess, but is continually mourning. On the other hand, there are people who they weep and they grieve forever without surrender to God's will. And they're just angry and sad, and why is the world this way? Complaining about your problems does not equal mourning. Lament without surrender is pity, and pity is pathetic. Pity gets you nowhere. There is no blessing in pity. Now, there are seasons where potentially you need to go through a time of pity to get you to mourning, but don't stay there. It's not worth it for you or anyone around you. We are not blessed for weeping loudly for a long time. The blessing is in the surrender of our will and the worship of a God who is gooder than us. It may involve tears and lament, but it's not the tears that bring a blessing. Mourning isn't just for emotional people. It's not a personality thing. It's an avenue of blessing for everyone who is wrestling with the reality that they would not have chosen. Maybe that's mourning the death of a loved one, like all of our stories this morning. Maybe it's the loss of a personal dream. Maybe we mourn COVID and the way things used to be or having a wedding that our friends could actually come to. Maybe you're mourning the economy or a political system that you wouldn't have particularly chosen. Maybe you just need to mourn the slow driver who is in front of you today who that is not how you would have willed your mourning to go. Any of those things when your will is crossed, if you hold on to that, it will eat you. But if you're willing to mourn, maybe, you know, that guy who cut me off this morning, I can mourn that one real quick, not a big one. Just, Lord, okay, I'm fine, forgive, okay, move on. But we need to mourn. God is still sovereign. And it is far more important, whatever I'm mourning, whatever will was crossed, it's far more important for me to learn to be on God's side than to try and persuade God that he should have been on my side the whole time because his will is stronger. His will is wiser. So perhaps mourning is not a sign of weakness. Perhaps mourning is God's good gift to his strong-willed children. The reality of our circumstances are, at times, not fun. They can be incredibly difficult and painful. But keep hope. The God who holds the universe is holding you. Our God is sovereign. Our God is strong. Our God is wise and he is wholly good. He is waiting with blessing and comfort when we are ready to worship.
I'd like to end with another one of God's promises. Spoken to the, to the Israelites right after God delivers some pretty harsh news that they were not fans of, that they needed to mourn about. But right after that, I'm going to paraphrase what Jeremiah says. I invite you to close your eyes and pray. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, or 23 years, or a year and a half of COVID, or nine months in the womb, when your time is complete, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you home. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me, and I will listen to you. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations. I will heal. I will restore. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. May your heart find the blessing and comfort that comes from surrendering to a God who is worthy of your trust. May you find hope in his promises that are true. Amen. The worship team is going to come up, and I'm not, I didn't actually look at the list of what song we're going to sing this morning. But I encourage you, whatever you're coming from, whatever you're bringing in this morning, let's lay it down together. And with all of our heart and with all of our lungs, whether you're a singer or not, let's praise and worship the Lord. And if you need to cry to mourn this morning or if you are here to rejoice in what the Lord has done, let's sing together.